Hello, movie friends. Welcome back to Raiders of the Lost Podcast and another episode of Letterboxd Recap, where we go over the movies we've been watching as well as rating five of the top four Letterboxd of five fans who sent them in. Thanks so much for five dollar footlongs. How many? Uh, <laughs> how many movies did you watch this week, Anthony? Ten. Ten. <laughs> You're never going to beat me, man. I'd I'm not even trying, man. You're not, I'm not, I'm you're not, not even not. trying. That's the funny thing. I'm just chilling. Anthony's just, <laughs> Anthony goes for walks with movies. He, he just has like this contraption he puts on his shoulders. It's just TV helmet. <laughs> <laughs> when, when there's when there's A, augmented reality sets, I'm going to be doing that when I go on walks watching movies for Anthony sure. watches movies while he watches movies. <laughs> Dual screen. Dual screen. He's like, yeah, yeah, I got to get it in. It's like a football fan with every game on. Yeah. And I don't have NFL red zone. No, you have movie zone. You're you're like Ozymandias in Watchmen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> watching every program on the world. <laughs> oh, yeah, is that what he's doing? Well, yeah, he watches yeah, yeah. watching every Everything. TV station yeah. that's that's right. playing. Yeah, I remember now. Sick reference, right? Tight reference, bro. That's a good reference. Tight AF. Tight AF. <laughs> <laughs> now, before we get into our Letterboxd recaps, let's rate the top four of five fans. I can't wait. Thank you again for everyone for sending them in. Now, we have over 100 to do. And all you have to do to send them in is just take a screenshot and DM us on Instagram. Yeah, exactly. Super easy. We have a ton. So... We know, Anthony. You bring I'm, it up no, every I'm, time. I'm just saying. For every those, time you're like, no, we I'm have just, so many to I'm get just, to. I'm just saying because sometimes people are like, oh, can you re- remind this week? And it's like there's a huge list. So if you have to wait a couple of weeks, so, so I'm so sorry. There's just a huge list of them. So we'll get to yours when, when we can. You're such a good guy. I just feel bad because like some people are super excited. And they're like, oh, can you, I want to hear it in the next one. I'm like, I'm so sorry. There's like 100 people out of you. <laughs> That's true. But big, we'll big get line. to them eventually. First come, first serve. But we appreciate yeah, yeah. every single one we get. Exactly. They're so fun to do. Let's get into it. All right, first up, we got Aoife, who's a longtime fan. You can finally say her name right. I did it right. Aoife, he, I taught him Aoife. <laughs> Aoife's got an Irish name. It's spelled A-I-O-F-E, I believe. A-O-I-F-E. A-O-I. How dare you? I say How it right. How dare you? At least I say it right, but it's pronounced Aoife. Aoife. Now, Aoife has a great top four. We have Gladiator. Oh, my God, Aoife. Arrival. Oh, yeah. That was less... Exclamation in that one. Well, I mean, it was I like think an, oh yeah, that's a gr- <laughs> that's a great pick, but like, so why do you hate Arrival, dude? <laughs> I adore Arrival, but I mean, Gladiator's Gladiator, baby. George won't forgive me for giving it a nine out of ten instead of a ten out of ten. I'm like, nine out of ten is good enough, man. He's, he's shunned Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> then we got Gross Point Blank, excellent pick, love it. And then Beauty and the Beast, the 1991 version, classic, excellent, excellent job. Eva, great list. Gladiator at number one. I mean, I've had that in my top four letterbox before. It's in my top four all-time faves. All-time. Next up, we got Moose the Movie Dude. Love the name. <laughs> Moose. Not a film bro. An educated cinephile. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't we all? <laughs> all right. Moose has Scream, the original. Nice. Excellent. Pulp Hello, Fiction. Hello, Moose. Hello, Moose. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Moose. Hello, Moose. <laughs> what else do you have, Moose? <laughs> Pulp Fiction with an excellent poster. Banger. I love the, uh, it's the, the animated version of all the characters with a red background. It's fantastic That's a poster. good one. The E.T., one oh, of my favorite Spielbergs. What, I think it's one of Spielberg's all-time best. Like, it's top three Spielberg for me, honestly. Top three Spielberg? Top three Spielberg. Wow. It's, I think it's that I good. wept when we saw it at the re-release in IMAX. Dude, when that movie cuts to black and you hear the big drums, doom, 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 
Holy fuck. I want I wanted to like scream like let's go. The bike chase <laughs> to bike flying. I've haven't been that emotional in a movie theater since Interstellar, I don't think. And I'd seen the movie 30 times obviously, but yeah. when we saw it this year, holy crap, what an experience. So Steven, he actually says it's his perfect movie. It is. I, when, I'd say when it's asked what movie. is perfect what is what the perfect movie he's done is, he said ET is It's perfect a perfect movie. movie, absolutely. And then something we just covered, 12 Angry Men. Great pick. Amazing top four. What a horror. We got a horror. We got Tarantino. We got E.T. And then an all-time classic. I love it. 12 Angry Men. Moose. I love it. I love it, Moose. Moose the movie, dude. Oh, I like this one. Nicholas Mathis. I like this. I like this. A Lynch fan over here. Big time. Let me guess. But first. Blue Velvet. First, we got Thief. Oh, yes. Michael Mann's Thief. What a good fucking movie. What a good movie. Man, I fucking love that movie. And the cover, the poster is James Cam with the sunglasses on when he's doing the drilling, but it's like an animated version so of it. So badass. It's I love so that cool. shot, man. I love it. Then we got David Lynch's Inland Empire, nice. which I think is one of his best movies. Less talked about than the other ones. Mm-hmm. It gets much less attention than Mulholland and Blue Velvet. But Inland Empire is unbelievable. Then It Follows. Oh, hell yeah! One of your favorites of, horror, of the love, horror genre. Yeah, of the recent, recent years. Horror, I yeah. love It Follows, man. Great, great pick. And then Twin Peaks. There we go. The first one. There we go. Not Firewalk With Me. Lynchian. I like that one. I'm not a huge fan of Firewalk With Me. I think it's a little too much. It's kind of like French Connection with Wes. It's like too David Lynch. Yeah. Uh, Firewalk With Me. You I mean was, French, French Dispatch? French Dispatch. Sorry, sorry. French Dispatch. French Connection. Yeah. yeah Where's Bozo. the car chase? <laughs> um... I think that Twin Peaks, Firewalk With Me is just, for me, it's like too much David Lynch. I think it's great for people who are huge Twin Peaks fans, though. Yes, Twin Twin, Peak fan, Twin well, Peaks fan, Twin Peaks fan, Twin Peaks fan. You jumped on that one. <laughs> you shit. didn't say any consonant <laughs> at all. It was just, it, it, you said it, it, it started with a consonant. It, it started with a twist. <laughs> the first thing I said was a confident. confident. <laughs> I'm a mess. I'm a mess. I'm a mess. I'm a mess. All right, moving on. <laughs> Call me by so, your name reference. More more opportunities for James to roast me. We got Prince Jr. <laughs> I like it. Prince Jr. We got Gone Girl. Would you just Oh, watched? hell yeah. yeah. Goodfellas. My man. Goodfellas. It's always, I mean. Hey, Spider. I thought you said Spider. Spider. I thought you said no. I thought you said Spider, get me a drink. I think it's the first hole I dug. What can I say? I'm a good shot. I'm a good shot. <laughs> and Glorious Bastards. Hell yeah. In Fight Club. My goodness. Great, great. What a great list. list. What a list. We would definitely get along. Lots of feature. I love it. Oh, also, I forgot to mention who what people have been watching. So go back to Efa. Oh, I didn't screenshot it on that height. How could you, Anthony? I cut off the recent activity. How dare you? <laughs> but Prince Jr. has Sorry, been wa- he just Prince Jr. just watched Napoleon Dynamite. Are You There, Gods Me, Margaret, The Accountant, and Violent Night. I think... I like The Accountant. The Accountant's a cool movie. I really like that movie, yeah. All right, we got one more. We got Scott Gemmel, or Gemmel. I'm not sure how hard that G goes. <laughs> <laughs> Is it going hard? <laughs> we got Grand Budapest. Amazing pick. My favorite, Wes. La La Land. Great. Lord of the Rings. The Return of the King. I love this this taste. So fantastical. And then, this one is Across the Spider-Verse. Here we go. Excellent top four. 
Just a bunch of bangers. Bunch of Simply bangers. put, they're all really, five stars. Really, the fantastical though. They're all kind of fantastic films, fairy tales, or like a fantastic. Or fantastical. Yeah, How many fant- times do you want to say fantastical? Fan- man? The, do you have any fantastic. other adjectives? Not really. <laughs> I learned it today. This, Authentic and fantastic. It's my word of the day. <laughs> fantastic. You didn't my, know what it meant before. Never did. <laughs> never knew what it meant. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Scott's been watching bangers, Pulp Fiction, Air. The Thing, and then Into the Spider-Verse. Just killing it. Killing it. Killing it. Killing it. That's it for our five top fours this week. Thanks to everybody for sending them in. We'll do five more next week. And again, if you want to send us yours, all you have to do is screenshot your letterbox recent four, and we will send us on Instagram DM, and we'll get to it eventually. Because again, Eventually. Like Andy said, we have like 100 to get to. So 12 might, hours. It like might a- take a couple months, but we will get to it. We promise. All right, let's get into I our- guarantee it. Letterbox recap. How many? You've watched 10 movies. Watched 10 movies. So I think we got to go to the usual. Anthony does two, I do one. (laughs) (laughs) So why don't you just kick us off, Anthony? So the first one I watched was La Ventura, which is an Antonioni film, which came out in 1960. Oh, we forgot to see that, the new Batman. Yeah, it didn't work out. We just like got a little too busy, and then it was too late to get tickets. So I wanted to see it at the new Bev, because I hadn't seen it in years, and to see it on the big screen would have been great. But uh, they have it on Criterion Channel. It's an excellent film. He really helped bring a new kind of filmmaking to Italy, uh, which was beginning in France. But this is even, I mean, really before the French New Wave even started. It's 1960. But kind of a plotless movie, more about ideas and themes. But it's about this, uh, there's this two cop. There's, there's this couple that go on a vacation to an island with a bunch of their friends. And the woman goes missing. And so everybody starts searching for her, worried about what happened to her. And the boyfriend, I mean, fiance, goes to try and track her down with the girls, with the woman's best friend who was also on the vacation. But then they actually begin uh, reluctant romance as they're searching for her across the local towns nearby. Uh, and they form this new bond and relationship that they're unsure about. And then, I don't want to spoil the end, but it's really terrific. Beautiful, beautiful cinematography. Antonioni is a really unique filmmaker. I, I've, I've been reading Tarantino's new book, and he's not a fan of Antonioni at all. I really like him. He did this great movie about a photographer called Blow Up, which I really love. Uh, it's a really cool movie. If you haven't seen it, check it out. But he's a very slow filmmaker. If you watch his movies, it's going to be very little dialogue and a whole lot of long shots. So get ready for that. But when if you understand his filmmaking, or even if you not so much understand it but like it, you'll really like this movie for sure. It's the one that really started it all for him. All right, everyone added to your watch list. And then I watched Match Point, which I gave four and a half stars. And I wrote such a great sensual thriller with excellent performances and an unpredictable plot. I hadn't seen this in uh, quite some time, but I remembered it. I saw I saw ScarJo and something, and I was like, I want to watch Match Point. I haven't seen that in so long. She's really she's pretty young in this. This is 2005. Her and Jonathan Reese Myers. So her and Jonathan Reese Myers are the leads. They both have fiancés, and they meet. They're both kind of like originally born in low class. That they they both made their weasel their ways into upper class, and they're dating a pair of siblings. So he's dated, he's married to the woman, and then she's engaged to the brother of the woman. So they kind of weasel their way into this family, and they met through the fam- they meet through the family, and they begin this very ch- sexually charged affair. And it actually and it jeopardizes the man's entire new life. So he's a tennis coach, hence the, the title match point. And then through their affair, he's putting everything on the line. 
risking everything. So he he takes matters into his own hands to eliminate his risk. I don't want to spoil what happens, but it gets very dark for a Woody Allen film. It's something that he rarely tackled in terms of like murder and crazy crimes, and it's just it works so well in the film. And the cast is so spectacular. ScarJo, Reese Davis are are great, and then we get Matthew Good, who's always an incredibly reliable actor. Um, Emily Mortimer, Brian Cox is in it, so excellent cast. All right, uh, I believe our next one's probably the same. We did an episode that's coming out in about a week on it. It is. No, it's not the same. All right, well, I watched <laughs> A Star Is Born, and I actually watched it twice. I watched it. Damn, you love seventh. this movie. I'm so into it, man. I'm like obsessed with this movie. I can't, mm-hmm. I, I can't get it out of my head. Yeah, I mean, when we recorded the episode, you were like charged. Oh, I'm, and you I were keep, like, I keep all listening on to it. the soundtrack. I've been learning on guitar. And I'm at the deep end. <laughs> Watch so this I watched it. I watched it on like the seventh or eighth of August, just for fun, or just for fun. Yeah. And then we decided to do an episode because I, I told you I watched it. And I was like, let's do a Star Is Born, and so I watched it. And then I watched it again last night. Nice. After I watched another movie. So I was just like, fuck it, I'm going to watch it again. So that's technically a double movie for my two of my five movies I watched. But I mean, yeah, to watch it twice in a week, that's great. This movie's sensational, and I only had seen it that one time in 20, 2018 when it came out, and I wrote, I gave it four and a half stars. One of the best directorial debuts of the 21st century from Bradley Cooper. The music is transcendent, and the tragedy is devastating. Not many movies can make you actually feel like you're part of a relationship. Excuse me as I go wipe the tears. <laughs> and we did it. We filmed an episode. The I'll other... do my review too while we're, we're right, on yeah, it. We filmed an episode the other night, and it's coming out in like a week and a half next Monday. And I think it's a really special movie. It's something about it, 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 I connect with it so well. I think it's just I love the kind of the genre of music, just like this southern d- dirty rock. We grew up on on hard rock. Yeah, our, I mean, with our brothers, but like like that southern yeah. rock, like that black keys sound. And I mean, I think it's sensational music, transcendent. The, the talent in this movie is. Off the charts. I mean, Lady Sublime. Gaga. Sublime! Lady Gaga is incredible in this film. She brings this movie to new heights that it wouldn't have been able to reach. And obviously, it's the fourth time this movie's been made. But I think what Bradley did was something really special, incredibly realistic. And it makes you feel like a rock star. It makes you feel like you're in a relationship. You're so connected to these two characters. And you feel like you're really in their lives. And... Their lives. It's. I think it's a really special movie. I don't know why it doesn't get a lot of love. It's 3.6 on Letterboxd. It is not well liked. But my goodness, something about this movie, it hits me, man. It, I can't get it out of my head. Same. I gave it four and a half stars. This is the third time I've seen it. I wrote, Bradley Cooper directed his ass off in his powerful debut. And Lady Gaga is nothing short of sensational in this deeply tragic romance. Matthew Liberty captures gorgeous imagery on film and puts you into the life of a musician. This film is wonderful. This film is a wonderful celebration of real performance and a search for what makes an artist true and great. I love it. It's a good episode, too. It All was. Right. I can't wait for people to listen. Next up, I watched Good Morning, a great classic Japanese film from Otsu, one of the great uh, masters from Japan. I wrote a very charming story of childish rebellion and the power of gossip, four and a half stars. It's about this small neighborhood in a, sm- in a small town in Japan, and it follows the kids and their parents' uh, daily lives. And what happens is the two of the kids, they have friends, in the ne- next-door neighbor friends, who have a TV set, and so they like to go over there to watch TV with their friends. 
but then their parents get upset about watching too much TV and not doing their homework, so they basically ground them. And then the kids rebel by refusing to speak at all. It's like a way of protest. It's really funny. And however, ironically, their silence actually causes a chain of events to happen in the rest of the neighborhood where the other neighbors think that the, the kids' parents are angry at them because the kids aren't speaking to anyone in the neighborhood at all. Any any adults. Oh, they're just silenced forever. Yeah, yeah. Do they talk to other kids? To other kids, yes. But like they ignore the other adults in the neighborhood. So the adults think that their parents are mad at them for stuff. Oh, so, so the, causes, the other adults think that yeah, their parents yeah. are mad at the adults. Yes, so it causes this chain reaction in the neighborhood that nobody could have foreseen. Just from this innocent thing, because the parents are like, let them ignore us, like let them be silent, whatever. They're, they're always joking about, uh, let's see how long they can last without talking, um, but it has uh, unforeseen consequences. It's re- it's also very funny, very charming, beautifully shot, and it's just a, it's a nice, charming family movie. Sounds like a great concept. Yeah, it's, a, it's it takes like thirty minutes until it gets going, but then once that plot point clicks in and the conflict starts, you're like, oh, this is actually a great idea. It worked really well. Next up, I have A Room with a View. I wanted to watch a romance movie. Ooh. So I watched A Room with a View, gave it four stars. I love a good period with Pierce romance, especially one set in Florence. This cast is stacked with Helena Bonham Carter, Daniel Day-Lewis, Judy Dench, and Maggie Smith. Fantastic cinematography and performances elevate the story of forbidden love. So Helena Bonham Carter, her first lead role, she was only 19. And she's like working opposite these heavyweights. And she is this young woman who goes to Florence with her aunt, who's much older, as like a chaperone, just as a, on a holiday. And she meets another Englishman. Um, they have a little passionate affair in Florence, but then you know, she's, he's not from good stock. So they, the family doesn't want anything to do with him. And then the, when they return to England, she becomes engaged to the very um, charm, the very aristocratic Daniel Day Lewis, who is. Obviously, he's the best actor ever, but he's so good in this role as the most pompous, full of himself, high-class snob imaginable. The movie's worth watching just for what Daniel Day-Lewis does in the movie. And even amongst these great actors, he's he's such a standout. He's so great. Uh, and Helena Bonham Carter is wonderful as well. And then it's just a great tale of forbidden romance. Yeah, remember we talked about it in our Daniel Day-Lewis actor spotlight like a year ago. Mm-hmm. I hadn't seen it for... Over 10 years, a long, long fucking time. Long fucking time. <laughs> How long were you undercover? Long fucking time. Long time. Long fucking time. <laughs> Departed reference. Sorry, right. Bill. My computer's getting all bluey on me. My turn. I was on a Bradley Cooper kick. So there's a movie of his that I've been meaning to watch that he made in 2015 called Burnt. It's a cooking movie where he plays the celebrity chef who is trying to get his third Michelin star after basically messing up his entire life that he had in France as a uh, chef and restaurateur. And now he moves... He had two stars, right? Yeah, so so he's trying to get his third. Yeah. And he goes to New Orleans, Louisiana, to start up a new restaurant. And basically, his goal is to get a third Michelin star at any cost. And I enjoyed it to an extent. I give it three stars. I, I know people I can see that. I know people really like it. I think it's an almost a great movie. It has a lot of th- good things going for it, but it could feel a bit melodramatic to me and like a so- soap opera at With times. With like Sienna Miller's Yeah, plot. some of the, some of the dialogue yeah. and some of the sequences it's like it felt like almost network TV kind of stuff or like t- or the 
the Hallmark Channel kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Some of these conversations were just a little cheesy for me, but it's still a really solid watch. However, cooking movies always make me hungry. <laughs> this one did not make me hungry. I think that they left a lot on the table of capturing the food really yeah, well. Yeah, I get your point, especially like when he makes that breakfast for the couple in their home. They didn't really show off what he was cooking. They surprisingly show, even though they're in the kitchen a lot, they don't really film the food very well, in my opinion. And, I get that. I get that. And I think that one of the great strengths to a lot of cooking movies or, or, or and chef movies is the— Will you keep it down sorry, over there? Sorry, this fan keeps falling over. <laughs> is the, the photography of the food and the making of the food, uh-huh. even if it's something artistic and like a small plate or, or an appetizer, something bougie. A strength of the menu. Yeah, the menu is yeah. a great example of that, and Chef's a great example of when you watch those movies, you get hungry as hell. I did not get hungry when I watched this movie. I was shocked. But overall, it's solid. Bradley's terrific, and he has a couple of really great scenes in this, and he's basically just trying to get his third Michelin star. I don't want to spoil what happened. It's got a good couple of twists in it. I think he did. they did a great job with his... I've seen a lot of criticisms of people just saying he's such an asshole and unlikable character. Like... That's what some chefs are that's like. What, that's what it's like. They are just they're they're tyrants. Chefs, you know? are, chefs are assholes. Yeah, you have to be. Yeah, I think kitchens. it's accurate. Yeah, but it's got heart and it's got a sweet love story. Miles, miles of heart. Miles and miles. Gotta have heart. Miles, miles, miles of heart. Anyways, we sang that in third grade. Of course, Anthony remembers. Sick reference, bro. But yeah, three stars. It's a solid watch. If you got nothing, if you try, if you're just scrolling, figuring out something to watch, it's a good time. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I can see that. I think I gave it four stars on my review. I'm not sure. I think it had potential, but it just didn't no. You're right. It, it didn't. It was lacking. So, but I mean, we've been watching a lot of food movies because we're gonna do a food movies episode soon, yes, sir. So we're gonna record that very soon. Next up, I watched. Per your request, sympathy for Mr. Vengeance. Oh, yeah. I hadn't seen it. It's like the Sympathy only... Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance. I kind of like said that quickly. Yeah. Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance. It's the only Slow part... Slow it down, man. Like, there's nowhere to go. There's no, <laughs> we don't have to be anywhere, man. I said a cup of coffee. Anyways. Well, uh, I said a cup of coffee. It's a cup of coffee. It's the only Park Chan-wook film I hadn't seen. What? <laughs> what? Sorry. <laughs> it's the only Park Chan-wook film I hadn't seen. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. 
And I don't know why I didn't watch it yet because I've seen Old Boy a bunch of times and I and I just watched Lady Vengeance uh, a couple months ago. And so it was just like a no-brainer that I should have watched this and I, I'm ashamed of myself for not having watched it's this It's part yet. one of the Revenge trilogy. Yeah, it's really fantastic because I gave it four and a half stars. And I wrote, Park Chan-wook showcases his brilliant visual flair in this brutal and shocking revenge tale which takes an incredible twists and turns on its way to a fucking bonkers final act. And it did not disappoint when you were like, oh, you're going to watch it. It's so good. And I loved it. I think it's fantastic. And uh, Song Kang-ho was in it. I didn't even realize he was in it because he's not on the posters. He, you've seen him in uh, Parasite. Wonderful cast. Great violence. Really intriguing story. It's a simple idea of a kidnapping plot, but he twists and turns it like it's not done before. So he freshens the genre. It, it's just really brutal, but very memorable uh, sequences and characters and he's such a a stylish director and he turns mundane sequences in like you know what i mean in the first act like very simple scenes but he makes them so visually appealing so he keeps it when it, even when the story's slow he keeps you engaged so he's really one of a kind what else did you watch you guys did too right i watched annie hall oh nice. five stars I hadn't seen Annie Hall in some time, but it's one of my all-time favorites. And I, I used to watch it a lot when I was younger. It's just, um, it's really one of the best scripts ever written. It's incredible character creation. Diane Keaton is such a scene stealer. It's, I think she's, she delivers an all-time performance in, in cinema history as Annie Hall. The jokes are great. The cinematography is beautiful from Gordon Willis, but also there's a lot of great magic realism and fantastical filmmaking in this word of the day for example when woody allen's talking about his childhood in class and he uses it at magic realism by being a, an adult in class and he's talking to his teacher but the rest of the class are still kids like in first grade and he's like being barraged by his teacher for being like a, a, a troublemaker kid and he's like hey i'm sorry but he's an adult and then also he does this great thing and tarantino borrowed from that in kill bill with beatrix kiddo Beatrix Kiddo, here, thing, and it's Uma Thurman with the classic kids, so he took that from Woody Allen in this movie, and then also what I, one of my favorite scenes is in this sequence where he cuts to a bunch of the kids facing camera, and they're telling the, the audience who they grew up into, like one's a heroin addict, one, one's really into leather, <laughs> one like is a hedge fund manager, so like I really like how he, he wrote the kids by showing like everyone he starts as a kid. And then also having the kid tell the, tell the audience who they are as an adult, which I thought was just brilliant. But there, there's a ton of moments of magic realism with tons of great split screens of breaking the fourth wall. Uh, there's a great scene when they're in line for a movie and there's a guy complaining about a writer in, behind them in line. And then Woody Allen literally pulls the actual writer who cameos in the movie. And, hey, how about you talk to him yourself in person? He's like, don't you wish real life could be like this? <laughs> so lots of great things like that, which really elevate this movie. And put it on a different level in terms of just being a romance film, a romantic comedy. It's so much more than that. Man, I haven't seen it in years. Yeah, you should watch it too. Yeah, I kind of want to it's now. Great. It's a terrific movie. Yeah, it's an unbelievable screenplay. He has a great stand-up special that he released, before, I believe, before he made Annie Hall. He was a big stand-up, yeah. I highly recommend checking out his stand-up. It's, it's hysterical. There's some stand-up in the, in the movie too. Hysterical. I feel like Seinfeld... Is like yeah. a rip off of Annie yeah. Hall, like that whole show. It just feels like Annie Hall. Like every time they're like in line for for the movies, I'm, I always think of Annie Hall. It's always like Jerry <laughs> complaining. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's Jerry and Elaine complaining. I'm like, this is Annie Hall. 
Uh, George is the one who's always complaining. They all complain. They all do complain. The, the whole show is about people complaining. Kramer never complains. Kramer complains all the time. You sound like Jerry right now. Well, everybody's complaining in <laughs> Seinfeld. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about, Anthony? <laughs> Next up, I had a rewatch. I went to AMC IMAX and I saw Oppenheimer again, baby. Nice. And it was, you know, the third time I've seen it. I was trying to get the City Walk at AMC at Universal Studios because they're doing the 70 millimeter IMAX. There, the, there was only two theaters really right now doing it in LA still. That and the TCL in Hollywood. Couldn't get those tickets. They are booked up for weeks, man. So the but, end of August. Yeah. But I had no problem getting tickets for another IMAX in Burbank. And still a good screen. It was an excellent screen. Yeah. It's huge. And it was an incredible experience. Had great seats. And I went with someone who was seeing it for the first time. That's and, great. And they've been they've been on they've been traveling, so they haven't been able to see it and they're a huge Nolan fan. And so they waited until they got back and then we went and saw it and it was an awesome experience, especially for the third time seeing theaters. I'm probably gonna see it again before it's gone. And it, I pick up on things obviously that I didn't see the first two times, especially because you know it's a Nolan movie. He does not like to do ADR post audio. He likes to capture everything on set. So there are some lines that the first time, maybe even and even the second time in this movie, you don't fully pick up on everything said, which I have no problem with. I know a lot of people don't like that. I don't have a problem with it, especially if I know I'm gonna see a movie twice. And I, I picked up on a bunch of things that I never noticed before after seeing it twice. But also the anticipation of waiting to see my favorite parts of the movie and still like, will the Trinity test hit as hard as it did? And it did hit as hard as it did. And it was awesome. Did and you see that TikTok video that guy made? Which that's uh, not very specific. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's about 10 billion TikTok videos. So a little specificity. This guy, this guy made a video. He's like, he's like, say, he's like acting as though he's sitting in the theater with his friends. He's like, Oh, I can't wait for the Trinity explosion. And then the uh, the bomb goes off and it's silent. He's like, oh, huh. I guess when they thought, when, I guess when they said you're going to feel the explosion, it was more metaphorical. Then it goes, boom! <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty great. But yeah, uh, what's was, your rating? Five stars? Five stars, baby. Better be. Five stars. Are you kidding Better me? Be. It dropped a little bit on Letterboxd. Where's it at now? Uh, 4.3. 4.3? Yeah. Jeez. And Barbie dropped down to a 4.1. Yeah, 4.1. Yeah, I dropped down to 4.1. All right. I'm glad you enjoyed it again. Next up, I watched Chef. Because we're prepping for food movies. But what inspired the whole food movies binge was I just thought, it just came to my head. I was like, oh, the grilled cheese sandwich from Chef. And I just got so hungry. I just just thought of it out of nowhere. And I was like, oh, I got to. I gotta watch this again. So I watched it on YouTube and then I posted it on Twitter and then I was like, let's do a foodie movie episode. And so then I watched Chef, which I really love. I gave four and a half stars. It really is one of the best food movies I wrote. God damn, I'm hungry now. <laughs> John Favreau goes back to his indie roots to make a fantastic foodie film, which serves as a parallel to the hate he got for Iron Man 2. He played the safe hits and got attacked by crits, just like Carl here. A wonderful cast, fun music, and a be- and beautiful, beautiful dishes make this film a fun entry in his filmography. Shout out to Roy Choi for inspiring and advising on the film. Roy Choi, the famous chef, he was actually from ground zero of the big food truck boom in the 2000s. And, and Favreau so, had him on, yeah. <clears throat> excuse me, on set for all the Marvel movies. He's, yeah. he's, made, he's the food truck guy, one and of the food trucks. They're, they're, so they're old friends, and Favreau borrowed from Roy Choi's life story to help 
basically create the story for this film. And then Roy Choi did all of the food prep and cooking and trained Favreau for the film. Have you eaten at his food trucks? No, I've been wanting to. Bro, they're People so tell good. me they're he's, amazing. He's got a few in L.A. And let me look it up real What's quick. What's it called There's again? There's a few of them, but uh, one of them has Soju something. Wait, what? Let me hold What's on. the big one called? Pulling it up right now. Because it, it's Koji Barbecue. Koji, yeah. Koji Barbecue. And I've eaten it a few times. It's phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. And it's a lot it's similar to the food they actually make in Chef. It's really terrific. But like, it's sort of like a, a Korean twist on, on like kind of Mexican food. Mm-hmm. It's really, really great. Yeah. Like braised short ribs, but with like pickled onions and stuff like that. And it's awesome. And I can't recommend it enough because he's he- a great chef too. He's like, he's a real chef. Like he makes it, I follow him on Instagram and the stuff he does is just, he'll do anything like any cuisine. And he seems to be like an expert on everything. Like he's the he's not just like a food truck guy. Like he is a fucking pro. Now he's got multiple trucks. Multiple he's so trucks. successful. Too. He has multiple restaurants around the world. Yeah, he's got a Vegas restaurant. He's and crushing. Him and Favreau did they did a, sh- a food show together too. Yes, a it came out last ago. year on Netflix, right? Yeah. That was With, an awesome. uh, and he was having special guests like Paltrow came on an episode. Yeah, I think D- yeah. Downey was there Downey too was on an episode. One, yeah, yeah. So I'll I'll talk about Chef too because that's the last movie I watched. I watched it last night. And I gave it four stars. Delightful, emotional, realistic, banging soundtrack. This movie makes me dance in my bed every time I watch it. And oh, yeah. How do you dance in your bed? Like this. <laughs> You're moving those shoulders. Yeah. Huh? What about the hips? You get to get the hips going. I'm moving too. those hips, man. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Who are you moving the hips with? <laughs> <laughs> and holy shit, does this movie make me hungry. This food movie makes me starving. It and does. From the grilled cheese, but like so much actual cooking when he's that doing, pasta. Yeah, the oh my god, alio olio, the the yeah. garlic. Oh my god, that he's making for Scarjo. But it's it's a really well made movie, and he he's a really great director. And you know his indie career is excellent. I mean, Swingers was such a good movie, and then made coming yeah made as well, and then coming out and going back to after doing huge movies for half a decade or a decade, coming out and making a small independent film, small cast, simple concept. In a food truck for the majority of it, and it's awesome. And Dustin Hoffman's great in this. Dustin's he's off, so good. He's great. Downey's great in this. Sofia Vergara's great in this. Yeah. John Leguizamo, Gary Clark Jr., the great musician, yeah. has. This is before he popped off. He's. I think he was had just come out with his album Black and Blue, and he plays like three songs from it at when we we were like, oh my god, I was Gary like, Clark it's Gary Jr. Clark Jr. He wasn't really very famous. Nobody yet. Nobody knew who he was, but now he's Le- yeah, now he's a star. Leguizamo's in it. Bobby Cannavale is great in it too. So the cast is awesome, and it's so fun, and it really, you know, it's really emotional, especially single dads, dads in cinema. You know we love to see it because we hardly really do anymore, and I think these kinds of stories are really important to show, you know, dads, dads are important, and there are a lot of single dads out there that, you know, life's tough for them, especially if they went through a hard divorce, and I'm sure their ex-wife has had a tough time as well, but like the effect it has on your kid. And how to reconnect with your kid after going through a divorce and after being separated. A lot of us have experienced that, trying to reconnect with parents, and especially a father if he basically gets kicked out of the house and you don't see him for a while. Yeah. And trying to become basically friends again in a lot of ways or get to know each other again because you don't really know each other anymore because you just do fun stuff. And I, I think the kid's got such a sweet performance, this, the, guy, the kid who plays Percy. And that's as much about uh, that's what the majority majority of the movie is about. Underneath the great themes of food and trying to find himself. And there's that great scene where he berates the critic. 
in oh, the restaurant. Yeah. That's basically Favreau going after movie critics. Yeah, but Favreau, he did a great job of implement, implementing social media and especially Twitter. Twitter, yeah, early days of Twitter. The he, app looks so and, like, different. like, what could happen? Yeah. All right, next up. Because he doesn't understand that, like, a tweet isn't a private yeah. message. He's like, no, oh, I just sent a private message to somebody. Dad, you sent it to everyone. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I got two more movies left. Both food movies. <laughs> so I watched Eat, Drink, Man, Woman, which I've been meaning to watch for a long time. It's one of uh, Ang Lee's earlier films in China. And I gave it four and a half stars and wrote, Ang Lee is such a master. This is my new favorite movie about food. So if you thought The Food and Chef was great... This movie makes that look like it was just a ham and cheese sandwich made by a kid. There's so much. Well, I mean, Cubano kind of is a ham and cheese sandwich. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> There's so much food in this movie. It's unbelievable. Like, so, so the film follows this uh, middle-aged chef. His, uh, he's a widower. And he has three daughters who are all, uh, one's 18 and the others are in their 20s. They still live at home with him, even though the other two have careers and one's still in school. And every Sunday, they have a tradition where they have Sunday dinner, and he makes absolute feast every time of, like, 20 dishes. I'm not even exaggerating, like, 20 different things, and some of them are, like, very big dishes. He makes enough food for, like, 30 people every time. But that's just because he's, he's, he's a famous chef in Taipei, so that's what he does. That's how he um, expresses himself because he's terrible at communicating person to person and with speaking, but he's wonderful at communicating with food. And it shows the disillusionment of the family, and as the old as the girls are getting older and they're moving out of the house, they're losing their connection to home and to him. And it's through food that they rekindle connection. And uh, it's a wonderful film. It's so well made. It's so well acted. It's very relatable. Very human drama. And it's also very very funny. It's great. Gonna add to my watch list. Sounds <laughs> yeah. great. Four and a half stars, man. Sounds great. Next up, on my, last my one, final right? watch of the of the week was Jiro Dreams of Sushi. Oh, man. Hell yeah. yeah. Haven't seen this since it came out. Two, 2011 it came out. This was one of those ne- early Netflix docs that popped that everyone was talking about. I believe it was Amazon Prime. Was it Amazon? Yeah, I watched it on Prime. Uh, let me double check. You can talk about it. Because if it was Netflix, they'd still have it. Or maybe they bought the rights to I it. I think they had the license. I think you're rights. right. I think it was. I'm pretty sure it was yeah. an early Netflix documentary that destroyed. But this is a movie that like blew up for a year, and everybody watched it because everybody was talking about it. And I believe it was nominated for documentary Oscar. Yeah, it's a Netflix movie. Jiro Dreams of Sushi. Well, I watched it on Prime. You should have just signed into Netflix. Oh, but you canceled your Netflix. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, that's why I didn't watch it on Netflix. But... No, no nomination. I thought it was... Wait, hold on. Nope, no. I thought it got nominated, but okay. Anyways, it was a word of mouth sensation when it came out, and it's great. It's I wrote, I can't stop watching movies about food. <laughs> <laughs> Four and a half stars. It's just wonderful to see... He technically runs the most expensive restaurant in the world. It's not exactly true but when you factor in that meals are only about 20 to 30 minutes tops it in in that case it is like the most expensive restaurant for time spent in a in a restaurant so i believe it's four thousand dollars american to get a table and you have to book at least a few months in advance just to get a spot and you have a limit of being there no there's no limit they just the way that it's prepared it's quick quick service no but like they probably want you out yeah they probably want you out but um you can chill there if you want Linger, but, but they don't they don't do appetizers they don't do desserts they only serve sushi but jiro is the master of sushi chefs and he's been doing it for like 60 years but it's just fascinating look at behind the curtain of 
the commitment to the craft, the obsession, and the work ethic of this man to create this word of mouth restaurant that is located in a train station and yet it's got three Michelin stars. And there isn't even a restroom in the restaurant. You have to go to the restaurant. You have to go to the restaurant restroom in the cha- train station. So it's like for this to be three stars, Michelin, three Michelin stars, it's because the food was is just so incredible, and it all goes down to him and what he's learned and put into the craft through his experience and passing it on to his kids and yeah, his son, like his eldest, who's like in the ranks, but he's yeah. like in the back doing the worst stuff you can do because you no. got you got to work your way up. No, well, I mean he was yeah, but like now they, he's he, now he makes the sushi. No, but I mean like they talked about where you start. Yes, yeah, in the yeah, kitchen, yeah. He like started starting, as an apprentice, started doing yeah. like the worst stuff in the kitchen, then you work way up. Yeah, exactly. But for years, but now his son is his son is. I mean, 60 now, but when this film came out, his son was 50, and he was still just only the second sushi chef. And Jiro, I'm not sure if he still does it anymore because he's in his 90s now. But the, to apprentice there, you have to apprentice for 10 years before you can even start cooking the egg. Holy crap. <laughs> because they have an egg sushi dish, and you have to apprentice there for 10 years. You can, and, then, and then after 10 years, you can start cutting fish and slicing fish, but still not even being the serving sushi, sushi chef. That takes like, if you want to work in that restaurant, probably never. But people work there, train there for ten years, and then they can like open up their own restaurant, and they'll probably do really well. That's bonkers. Yeah, but it's a fascinating story and really interesting to see behind, like I said, the curtain to see what what makes a a, a sensational place like this kick, and where it all started. Because this is a restaurant that is famous. It was famous just in Japan, but now it's globally famous and. And some people they have to book a year in advance, and it's just it's just wild. Um, and because it's so expensive, is it really worth it? And everybody says yes, it is worth it. That's incredible. And you know this this movie is really important because I guarantee Chef's Table probably wouldn't have been a thing. Yeah. Well, this was like the I think like the original Food Doc movie that the big one, not the original, but maybe it was, the I big think it was one. The biggest. Yeah, not the for, first, obviously, but like the biggest one. Yeah. Yeah. It was just a sensation. It started the boom. I think it was a viral thing. Like documentaries seldom went viral. Like, Super Size Me was a viral documentary. Yeah. But when it came to just a documentary about food, it doesn't, doesn't this really is, happen. Like, that, was like a, a, yeah. that was like a special thing that people were like, oh, my God, this is about my life. <laughs> exactly. Now we have cooking shows up the wazoo. So this is definitely a, a major catalyst in that genre of, of television and of documentaries. But it's a great documentary. It's an amazing story. I can see why it didn't get nominated because the thing is it, it could have been an all-timer if it was shot better. Mm-hmm. And if it was directed better, but also if they, they, the story wasn't just, it wasn't that captivating of a story. They, and there were, based on the stories you heard from people talking about Jiro and he himself talking about a story, his past, they could have made a better overall arc of a story with conflict, but they didn't. It was kind of just like a greatest hits. Like a compilation. Yeah. It, that's what it felt like. Uh, it didn't really feel like a, a, a story like a great doc will have. So I think that if it was made better and also the music choices, they kept going with like super dramatic music from movies, like a lot of Philip Glass music from like Notes on a Scandal and stuff. And and that song, a couple of songs from very dramatic films where it's just like, you could maybe do something a little more playful and it would have changed. The tone was a little too overly serious at times mm-hmm. and less fun than it could have been. So I think the direction of the film was odd. I mean, the guy who made the doc... Did it on a low budget, and I mean, he got it done, and it, he did it. That's great, but like, it could have been really sensational. 
All right, well, that wraps our letterbox recap. That was a good one. That was fun. So for episodes this week, yesterday we dropped a banger on 1999, A Year in Film. We, we talked about like 100 good movies that came out in 1999. It's insane how many there were. On Thursday, we're doing a Christopher Nolan movie ranking. You don't want to miss it in two days. With special guests. The special Popcorn guests, Podcast. The Popcorn Podcast. It was a lot of fun. And then next week, we're going to do an episode on A Star is Born, as well as cooking movies. And so, yeah, I can't wait for that one, man. Yeah. And then tomorrow, we have a special interview that is being released where we got to chat with the former vice president of IMAX, the current chief quality guru of IMAX, and president of post-production in DPK 70mm. Christopher which, Nolan's guy Which at is an uh, IMAX company that deals with the processing and creation of films in 70mm. Mm -hmm. uh, his name is David Keeley, and it was a sensational conversation. He was so interesting to talk to. We've met his partner and his wife a few times in person at IMAX, and they hooked us up with a great little interview. We talked about IMAX, how it started, why it was created, and also a lot about Christopher Nolan and filmmakers who have now been using the format for theatrical films and how Christopher Nolan, and starting back in The Prestige, was the first time they experimented with filming with an IMAX camera for a movie, and then eventually with The Dark Knight, the first like official IMAX film. And now here we are, Oppenheimer, shot extensively with IMAX film, IMAX cameras, and it's sensational. It was so cool to chat with him. We got tons of cool information we never knew about. Francis Ford Coppola came up, which you don't want to miss what we talked about with that. So that'll be tomorrow on Wednesday to check out our conversation with David Keeley. Thanks, IMAX, for hooking it up again with that interview. Thanks, IMAX. You're a cool guy. All right, everybody, take care. <laughs> Have a great day. See you next time. Raiders of the Lost Podcast is a Mirror Image production. Sound mixing done by Jacob Kosler. Opening music by Chase Jackson.